Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Herspiration Happy Hour, episode five. And today we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, change and how women are depicted in TV shows and movies and diversity and roles. Movie shows on TV now, sexual misconduct affecting the future of film. And no better than to have these discussions with our special guest today, Becky Corman, all the way from Berkeley, or right outside of Berkeley, California. Yes, I see how we film everywhere. And so before we get started, we are going to talk about what we're going to drink today. Because we're out in California, apparently you can try all kinds of nice things. And today we're going to try this almond-flavored sparkling wine. And we don't have a bartender, so we're going to do the own bottle popping ourselves. But while I get this bottle open, Becky, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, tell a little bit about you and your experience in the film industry as a producer. And oh my gosh, you're, you're, you've done more than just a film producer. So this is going to be kind of nice. First of all, thank you so much for having me, Pam. Um, I'm, I'm very honored to be invited on your show. I'm also very excited to share a glass of sparkling wine with you. Um, so I, I've been working in film for 10 years. I mean, I've been making films for long before that since I was a teenager, but I got my first job in New York, you know, as a unpaid intern on a movie a little over 10 years ago. And since then I worked my way up to now I, now I produce, um, and along that journey, I've worked in feature films, on television shows. I'm watching you just about. I know. <laughs> I, the I, court's about to go. I know. No, it's exciting. The anxiety between, behind popping bottles is breathtaking. You should see us both in here, like, <laughs> <laughs> cringing a little bit. Um, so, right, so along that journey, I've worked um, – in lots of different mediums, so features, television shows, worked on promos for reality shows, commercial shoots, photo shoots, and then about five years ago, six years ago now, actually five years ago, I transitioned into documentary films, and that's where I've really grown the most over the last five years is working in documentary features, and now I produce uh, kind of like commercial doc-style content uh, as well as a, a lot of short format pieces for impact campaigns, which we can talk about as well. But, you know, essentially if someone's trying to get a message out there, uh, whether that be about reforming um, uh, sentencing laws for, for prison sentences, or let's say now I'm working on something about integrative health care, they make a series of short films, launch them around the country and, and leverage that uh, content to share, you know, whatever information or message they're getting across. Across, so we do that through documentary film. So that's that's where I'm at. Wow, now. is there a huge difference between actual film and like movies and commercials than just filming documentaries, or is the setup kind of the same or similar? Oh, they're they're vastly different. Just, can you hear the baby yes. screaming on the thing? I might have to go feed yes. my baby um, as a short. Like, let me check. Oh, yes, like, go ahead. That's fine. Oh, yes. You're see, this is real life. This is real know, life. This is mommy. Mom. <laughs> yeah, she's a new mom, and so this is definitely a part of new mommy. 
So I recently had an opportunity to be a part of you and your brother and your other sister, Lily's, uh, well, her brother, Shy, um, your podcast, Family Night Movies. Friday Night, Friday night Movies. Friday, 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 Friday Night Movies. Friday Night Movies. And what, what inspired that? So my brother, my sister, and I are very close. Uh, we grew up very specifically going to the movies every Friday night after which we break down the movie and analyze it and discuss it. And so talking about movies and pop culture has always been a really rich part of our relationship. We now live very far apart. I'm in California. My brother's in D.C. My sister lives in the Canary Islands. And the way that we stay in touch, basically, is by once a week getting together, getting on the phone and talking about what you know what we're watching what's you know maybe some old shows that we're into or some old movies we're reminiscing about and so the Friday night movie podcast is us recreating those conversations you would have on Friday nights after going to the movies but now we're recording them and sharing them with you know who's ever interested in listening to our opinions on uh, all sorts of fun shows and movies. Well, you all are intense. I can tell you as somebody who, who had a great opportunity to be on there, intense. The way that you all dissect, literally dissect the movies is it actually makes me look at movies differently now. Oh, it well, does, especially because recently. So on my way here, I was listening. You know, remember I told you I marathon through them. So I was listening to the Electric Bo- Boogaloo one and <laughs> <laughs> the oh my gosh! So first, I probably looked like a crazy nut. Um, I was at the hospital doing like some routine appointments before, and I um, I, I flew here yesterday. And I was listening to the podcast, looking absolutely ridiculous, laughing when your mom and dad were on. And they was talking about the experience in Africa. Yeah, their their (laughs) gorilla track trip with the hippo that was in the middle of the the street (laughs) or the middle of the road there I I thought to myself oh my gosh where where is this going yeah um but it was great I mean just the dynamic and then to have your mom and your dad on too and you being a film producer you really dissect the most with how you feel about different things from that perspective so let me ask you this um with regards to some of the changes that's been taking place, because um, you've been in the movie and film industry for a while, um, what are your thoughts on the industry change in TV shows and movies now? I mean, because, you know, there's a lot of reality television. Um, there's, I feel like there's almost as many reality TV shows as sitcoms or dramas or anything else that's on television. What are your thoughts on that? Wow. So I've had a very, I've had a personal evolution when it comes to reality TV, or as I like to call them, unscripted dramas, because how real are they, right? So when I first, when I got that first, my first job ever in production, it was actually during a big writer's strike. And while this writer's strike was going on, reality TV, which was in existence, all of a sudden had this massive boom because networks didn't have writers who were, you know, putting out content for them. And so reality TV, I remember at the time, just absolutely exploded. And I really looked down. I would never work in reality TV. <laughs> oh, that's so beneath me. I went to film school. I'm going to work in features, right? And to be fair, reality TV was pretty junky. And 
And it still is. It still is in many ways. But I also think it's had this time to grow and to find lots of different audiences. Instead of assuming that everyone just wants to watch reality TV for the drama and the catfighting and the, you know, you know, back then it was Jersey Shore kind of stuff, right? I remember Real World. That was the most... To me, that was my introduction, I think, to reality Real, real TV. world is, is so interesting because that dates back way before the actual reality TV. No, no, no. no. <laughs> me, but for me, too. Like, like the original seasons of the real world are actually, by today's standards, probably super boring because you're really just watching people live together. Um, but then it kind of transitioned into what's now the more typical um, conventions of reality TV, which is where you kind of create the drama and you have like the nasty confessionals mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But what I think is that now I actually find there's, there's enough reality. There's so much more reality TV out there that's catering to different audiences that, yeah, you can go watch your housewives, but then you can also watch really encouraging or empowering shows. Like, were you with us when we talked about Queer Eye? Yes, yeah, yeah, you were, yeah, I was we on that episode. You were on the episode. You were on the Queer episode, right? We just we, we brought it up again last week, and I I, we're, we're constantly talking about it. Um, so you have these shows that also could be very um, positive or empowering. Or my favorite show, which is a competition show, but it's you know it's still that reality again competition shows falling into that reality TV. Uh, category, mm-hmm. the Great British Baking Show, where it's, yes, it's a competition, but it's a competition where everyone's nice to each other, and yeah. they make really delicious things, and people have a good time, <laughs> you know? So, I, I think in that respect, on one hand, it's, there's certainly programs where it's gone to the extreme of what I think is exploitative of people and relationships and sending out negative messages, but then there's also room for more positive portrayals of human behavior mm-hmm. and decency and so you know where there's more content there isn't always better content but I actually think in reality tv specifically it's starting to carve out for itself more um positive shows so then so I had even mentioned you know to you that I was going to talk about the elephant in the room that, that changed. I, there was no other way to really <laughs> say it, but even the change over from um, where at one time you didn't see the male anatomy on television. And now you find one or two shows with clips that have shown penis. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I even look at you, you know, you've said you've done some commercials. I feel the same way that now you there's more Viagra commercials and condom commercials and that the change in that. Um, I think do you think that there's a change in especially now that there's, you know, more respect for women in the field that because I mean, before it was more of the breast and, you know, the women body being shown. Now you have penises being shown on television it's so interesting you say that because when I think about I actually don't connect them what I find specifically when it comes to the representations of the female body I find what we're seeing more are are again different representations of it where it's not just this magazine pinup perfect woman with perfect breasts but you'll have a show like girls where Lena Dunham's naked all the time and it bothered people so much because she's not your classically sexy beautiful woman but She's still a woman getting naked on camera going, mm-hmm. like, here's my body, here I am. And, you know, love or hate Lena Dunham, she was, you know, showing us a different a different um, image than what we're used to. When it comes to 
male anatomy being shown, it is more and more, but I still feel like it's so rare. Like I've certainly seen it in more shows and movies. And I think it's often still portrayed in comedic ways. I I can think of like a couple of dramatic examples. Um, God, I have to look at the name of the show. This is like my, my baby brain, but I think the show's called Easy where there's, like, some male nude scenes in it, which are, like, not... Ne- they're they're <laughs> funny, but they're not, like, solely funny. Um, and I, I wonder if it has more to do with, again, this just availability of content, where mm-hmm. it's, we don't just have, you know, a couple of networks. We have do- a dozen different streaming services. You have, um, you know, so much so much more being produced. And then with that comes more niche audiences and more risks where Mm -hmm. people are willing to take risks. And one of the ways we take risks in, in what we create in, in specifically in film and television is like, is nudity. And so something like male nudity, which is rarely ever seen is now a risk. People are possibly more comfortable taking because there's more opportunity to create content. That's how I see it. Mm -hmm. But I am by no means an expert on um, the cultural studies aspect of it. This is just, more so myself as a consumer okay. of, of content, you know. Yeah, and that, that's why I'm one of the reasons why I asked was, I mean, of course, that because you're a human, but also just being a film producer and mm-hmm. selecting, you know, when I guess you all look at your audience and how you're going to represent, how you're going to show representation to your audience mm-hmm. when you're doing your films. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know if, okay, is there a shift because, you I know, mean, Probably a different film producer could answer that question, you know, in a more, more expert with more expertise. But uh, for myself, I don't, I don't know that I'm, that I have a particularly great answer to it. Other, you know, um, especially because my audiences tend to not be worried so much about male nudity I'm I'm looking at you know people who are going to watch documentary films and feel motivated to change the world (laughs) well if it if it means anything and I'm going to you know give a little mini shout out um to my boyfriend he actually loves documentaries oh (laughs) ridiculously loves documentaries I mean where he spends a good bit of his week and he'll send me different things that to watch, you know, mm-hmm. for, you know, healthy eating and just conspiracy theories and just, I mean, <laughs> just you know, fun. but he, just a whole lot of different things. His, he's, he loves to be informed. Mm-hmm. And so he that's one of the things that he is avid about doing. I don't care what it is mm-hmm. just about on even on um, just documentaries on different people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, mm-hmm. the prison systems. And so he mm-hmm. stays very in tune with. Netflix and uh, yeah. iTunes as soon as he see it that's one of the things he go across like documentaries you know what so he's influenced by that so you're doing that's documentary right. films that should let you know that there are some there are people who watch and they do connect and, and what again something like Netflix they're they've been such a great platform for documentaries because of how much of the content they're putting out there mm-hmm. and for you know for filmmakers it's been very encouraging to know that there's such a massive, um, massive platform with a huge potential audience. And Netflix has, I think, 
I in my point of view, I think they've they've really helped change the game for um, documentary filmmakers mm-hmm. as far as finding viewerships beyond film festivals and PBS broadcasts. But online streaming has really changed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely yeah. has. That's a good way to change it. So I'm going to talk about you a little bit personally because you are balancing a lot. You're a new mom. We, you're still on maternity leave, so that's still kind of a good and thing. I have my, my baby on my lap right now. Uh-huh. Um, so you're you're a new mom now. You have your family podcast. You mm-hmm. you're a wife. You're a sister. You know, how are you finding balance now? Because I mean, this is I'm sure having a baby now is a bit of an adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so you're going to have to go back to work mm-hmm. soon. So how are you going to add that additional balance becoming a mom? Such an important question, and it's one that had I not started practicing it before I had a baby, I don't know how I would have integrated it into my life after. And so I think that that's the number one thing is you have to you have to treat it like any other discipline, like you would your exercise class or a language you're learning or whatever it is. It's a skill. Finding balance is a skill. So that's the first thing. The second is that it took me many years to to oh okay so the second yeah so the second thing is that it took me it took me a long time to find the honestly the courage to have balance in my life because when you're starting out or when I was starting out in film there was no work-life balance it was just work and that was okay to be 22 23 years old and all I did was work because my work was my life and then slowly over the years as I worked my way up and you know moved up the chain basically I felt more secure in what I was doing and my position. And I felt a little bit more entitled to saying, no, no, my workday ends at this time, or I'm allowed to take a day off, or I can take, you know, 15 minutes during the day, half an hour during the day and eat a healthy lunch, which sounds so small, but is actually a very, can be a very hard thing to do. Don't I know? Right? Yeah. Really hard. And so, so as I became more confident in myself and my position, so did my ability to make space for that balance, whether it's eating a good lunch, having a proper night's sleep, working out, going on vacation, or just ending my workday. A lot of people don't actually end their workday, right? Yeah, you, know, you, don't, you don't say, okay, now my workday is over. And there's always extenuating circumstances of an emergency or something urgent, but a lot of the times we just function in this way that, oh, we should constantly be answering our phone and answering our boss and, oh, the boss needs this and the boss. And it's so stressful. Um, and so I, again, once I had that confidence in what I was doing and my position, I put up those boundaries. And I think, you know, and then that kind of leads into the third thing, which is that I believe boundaries breed creativity no matter what you're doing. So you have a production and you only have a finite amount of money. So that boundary around how much money you can spend will force you to be creative saying, oh, we can only do this many things with it. Or maybe that's a schedule, what have you. And I think the same goes for your personal time and space. When you start to put boundaries on your work life and 
you create space for your personal life, each one will benefit for it. For myself in the personal life, one of the things that motivated me to practice this discipline of self-care, right? Mm -hmm. You know, gain the confidence to instill boundaries, to put in boundaries, was having something I was passionate about outside of my day job. And I'm very passionate about film. It's all I've wanted to do since I was 11 years old. It's never been a question in my mind. There's never been any other job I wanted to have. But also discovering that I'm creative and passionate about things outside of that has been really important. So for me, that's cooking, right? Mm -hmm. So at the end of every day, if I can spend, well, there goes that hour now that I have a newborn, but at the end of every day, if I could spend an hour preparing dinner in like a thoughtful way or trying something new, that was my creative outlet. And that belonged to me and it didn't belong to anyone else. My boss had no authority over it or my coworkers couldn't interfere with it. And, you know, no production issues could somehow impact it. Like that was mine and it belonged to me. So that's how I create balance. And I hope now with the baby and going back to work, I can continue to do that. <laughs> you work out often? I do. I do. Um, uh, for me, working out is the only, I realize like, I actually hate working out. I hate going to a gym. It's mo- I just think it's the most boring thing. And then I feel like I'm not doing something I could be doing that's more interesting or fun. So for me, working out has to be part of my life. So it has to be hiking with the dog or going for a long walk or going for a bike ride Mm -hmm. or surfing, you know, skiing, something where I'm experiencing life. And then, you know, or hanging out with friends. So if my friends are like, oh, we're going to go to a dance class, we're going to go to a Pilates class. I'm like, okay, I'll go do it with my girlfriends. And then I'm, you know, motivated to do something. I'm like that. So that's why before I was taking, um, Aerial yoga, I step plan to start back doing that. Um, aerial yoga and pole fit. Um, and I I love the aerial yoga because you're not really on the ground. And but it's, it's so hard. No, it's not. That That's the acrobatic yoga, right? Something like that with the ropes. Oh, no, with the ropes. That's with the, the ropes. Oh, um, God. The aerial that yoga so from, with the ropes with from the, the ceiling. Yes. No, that is so hard. No. <laughs> so, I, I, and I really do. I love, I absolutely love it. And I like Bikram yoga. But me get... I, I get really bored very easily. So I can run outside, but I can't run on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. So I have to have things that's going to excite me. Hiking, like yeah. like you said, you know, I can't can't just go into a gym. I get absolutely bored. By the way, you don't look like you just had a baby. So that's what made me ask if you still work out. (laughs) (laughs) She has this little baby with her that you don't, you do not look like you have a baby. So, Um, you know, I just, I just go for long walks right now. Having, you know, being able to go for a walk a day feels like a huge, a huge accomplishment. And so I wear my Fitbit just to see if I possibly am going to get steps in and get, you know, what are your goal steps for the day? Well, I keep, well, I keep it at 10,000, but I would say I hit that. I don't, I, I don't ever hit it. I, these days I don't actually hit it, you know. In the past, were you? Oh, yeah, no, in the past, especially walking with the dog and hiking and stuff, yeah. Oh, okay. time. Okay, so the Oscars was just on television, and while the Me Too movement is strong, Women equality is a huge element of discussion right now. Mm -hmm. So how important is diversity in the entertainment industry and why? Why do you think that that's now 
such a um, is setting such a precedence. Wow. Especially so in terms of pay. I'm just going to oh, say, especially when you God. talk about diversity and pay yeah. and everything else. And being a woman producer, I mean, whether you're doing documentary, documentaries, mm-hmm. film, commercials, the yeah. being able to have an opportunity for acknowledgement now, mm-hmm. um, to me, is important. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd like to get well, that take from when you. when it comes to diversity and, in, and representation and inclusion, really, we know it's important across all industries everywhere, right? Whether that's mm-hmm. engineering or banking, like it, it doesn't matter. Uh, for film, television, anything in the media, I think it's even more important because we are creating images that are supposed to represent our society, right? But if everything is homogenous and it's not really representing Mm -hmm. society. We also know that when we see ourselves represented, like whether, whether that's, you know, you go to the hospital and your doctor is a a female surgeon, right. Or maybe your surgeon is, you know, it's up the looks, looks the same that you do, whether you're, you're black or you're Asian or you're Indian or Mm -hmm. I, you know, when you see yourself, it gives you that boost. It gives you that faith that like, Hey, I can, I can actually imagine myself in that position one day too. What's unique about media, about television and film and, you know, commercials and all that is that it's not just like, Oh, if I happen to be in a certain scenario and I'm seeing someone that could have my, whose future job I could have one day, it's, everything we're consuming. So it's like the shows about doctors and firefighters and lawyers and right. And, and politics. And so um, we, I mean, come on, how much television do we watch? So I think if we're not giving people examples of, of a diverse world or an include, like a, an inclusive world, then we're, then it's a detriment to society. Right. So we need to fairly and equally represent our society in, in the media. Um, so in that respect, I feel like film and television needs to be held to an equally high standard, not even just a tiny bit higher. Right. Um, and then as far as the workforce goes, I think once you have a more diverse executive level, you'll start to see and hear, you'll start to um, see and hear more, more diverse stories. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my thinking is, of course, if you include more female voices, then you'll have maybe a more female lens of whatever that, that piece that's being produced, or at least have that perspective represented. Mm -hmm. And not just for women, but again, for all races, you know, ethnicities, gender across the gender spectrum like all of that so I trying to think what um there's yeah I think that's kind of does that does that make sense that makes sense so I mean I I know it was a bit rambly there I feel I feel you know I feel a little badly no you didn't no you answered it great because then the so the next question is you know with so much coming out of the me too movement what impact, if any, do you think it has on the future of film? 
Mm. You know, we when I was on the podcast and we, you know, we sort of covered that when we was talking about um, James Franco and his mm-hmm. current allegations. Um, and I did put out there that, you know, I try to be objective until mm-hmm. there is someone guilty so that I don't lose sight of a person's craft and then mm-hmm. everything that they've worked really hard for. And everybody's entitled. I mean, this is America. You're entitled to um, defend yourself mm-hmm. when you are innocent. Um, but we also, God speak, we also know that our justice system is not always just mm-hmm. <laughs> and not always fair. Um, but as individuals, we, after a court case and you see evidence of what has taken place, you have a right to yourself to judge and say, it didn't look right. And I feel as though somebody paid really well for a great defense team to get them off, but I'm not sure. So I'm no longer going to support you know, mm-hmm. um, the artistry of that person. Um, so with media going the way it is, I mean, are we going to have anything to watch? I mean, they're, they're pulling so many things yeah. off of television. And so how do you think that is going to change the face of film, the, the entertainment industry? Well, it's interesting you say, what are we going to have left to watch? And I hope what happens in that respect is that those gaps get filled by people who have always been deserving of an opportunity for their story or their voice to be heard, but have not because there's been such a power imbalance. And one of the ways that power imbalance has been maintained has been through this these fear tactics, which is making people feel powerless and powerless and dehumanized. And so much of that happens through mm-hmm. harassment, sexual harassment, and just harassment. Um, and it happens in all industries. You know, Correct. film is not unique. And that's one of the things about the Me Too movement is very celebrity heavy. And they've made a conscious effort to say, like, this is about all workers, you know, whether that's factory workers or domestic workers or, you know, you work in tech and you know, it doesn't matter. But specifically to my industry, yes, I hope that as those people lose their opportunity to to create you know, this create entertainment, mm-hmm. um, whether that's, I think like Jeffrey Tambor was fired from transparent or, you know, Harvey Weinstein loses his company and Louis CK is shamed out of existence. You know, I just hope that what that does is it, it creates more opportunity for other people with, with valid voices and great entertaining things to share that haven't had that chance. Um, and, and then on the, again, as I was saying earlier, on the executive level, the people who are those decision makers, it makes them more conscious and aware and more open to inclusion and including people on those high, you know, in those executive producer positions who will have different stories to share, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, you know, on the more micro level, I hope that... Like working on set has always been one of my greatest joys. I love it. I equate it to going to summer camp. You, It's like you spend all day and all night with these people. They become your best friends. You laugh. You work your asses off. You're bored beyond tears for hours at a time. And, you know, it's being on set is this really unique experience. But I will also say as a woman being on set, it was not always comfortable. And I'm... 
and part of that discomfort was not being able to say like, Hey, that, that joke's not cool. Mm-hmm. You're making me feel really weird and singled out because of my gender. Um, whether the jokes were like, you know, really sexual or whether they were just, you know, inappropriate, it, it happens, but I never ever felt like I could actually say something. And so on that like micro level, I hope that film sets become a place where the few women who are working on them feel a lot more confident being being able to say, back off, man, Mm -hmm. I am not okay with that. Because you know, around you, there is this buzz and this feeling of support of being like, actually, if I do stand up for myself, I won't be further shamed or humiliated Mm -hmm. or fired. I'll, there's people now know that this is not okay. Maybe they're a little bit nervous about that, which can be a good thing, you know, be on your toes that you shouldn't be just saying anything that comes into your mind. So, so, yeah, so even, you know, talking about that, especially when you talk about people who've worked really, really hard to perform mm-hmm. and be in this industry, whether a commercial, um, and they are worried about ramifications if they do say something. Mm-hmm. Is it that easy to just, if they say something, to cut that piece out? Just to say, oh, we're not going to, we're no longer going to use you. We're going in a different direction. Is that maybe the fear that people have that are in that, that makes them fear to say something because they've worked really hard to get to where they are at in entertainment? And then. You mean for like performers? Performers. Or for, oh, for, for I mean, performers, because, you know, if you're on set, then you're, you're not only talking about what's going on around you. It's the people who are performing, the actual artists. I mean. For them, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I can't speak to their mm-hmm. experience. I'm certainly no actor or performer. I mean, I'm very comfortable behind a camera. I put a camera on me and I turn to just like stone. I am so awful. So, no, I, I can't speak to their experience, especially not to, to female uh, performers. I, I have no idea. But I just know as, a, as like a crew person on set and a very – male-dominated atmosphere, I would have never felt comfortable if someone made an inappropriate joke standing up for myself. And maybe that's just, and I'm a, I'm a very uh, outspoken, <laughs> take no BS kind of person. Mm-hmm. But in a work environment, I just sort of took the more like smile and laugh and kind of gently back back away and walk away and exit the situation. But I, I don't know for, for actors. I imagine there's all sorts of layers of issues and repercussions and politics that go on much more so than if you're a production assistant on a show. Oh, interesting. I mean, I, I guess because I don't do film, I'm, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm like you, I'd rather not be in mm-hmm. front of the camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is a stretch for me just to have, you know, the, a, the, the mic in front of me. Yeah. And although you, sometimes I do record or I don't mind taking pictures, I don't mind taking my own pictures. Mm-hmm. I mind photography mm-hmm. photos that, yeah, that makes me uncomfortable. So um, I can imagine that being something I'm paid to do. It's like, okay, do I say something? Do I not? But then you talk about no matter what industry you are in, Mm -hmm. how comfortable you'll feel with managing up to say, I'm not happy with what you said. Mm -hmm. Right now, yeah, I can, you know, and when I think back, I think when I first really started out in my career, I wasn't always doing budget, um, but I was doing um, behavioral health Mm -hmm. and 
when I even when I transitioned to become a government employee, is is you feel this discomfort if I say something, you know, you're on this 90 day probation and um oh. it you know you so you kinda are more leery about saying something, whether you have to stand up for yourself mm-hmm. or not. So I think that right now, if I had to tell my, you know, my 42 year old self what I couldn't tell my 29 year old self or 28 year old self, um, I would definitely be more vocal about mm-hmm. things that I did not like, because I certainly don't tolerate the shit now. Mm-hmm. I certainly <laughs> I would. I would definitely. And, and I think it's from because of where I've come from and hearing things, even before this whole Me Too movement came out, I got to a place of comfort where I feel like uh, no matter what, no job is worth my the way that I respect myself. And if I'm not going to allow myself to be treated that way because I don't hold, I don't treat myself that way, I'm not going to allow someone else to treat me that way. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn how to be assertively vocal about what makes me unhappy. And I think being in tune with myself and what I like and what I dislike and what I'm okay with. I mean, some humor, okay, I can deal. But disrespectful humor, I can't. I don't care who they're referring to. But I can also now stand up for other people. Mm -hmm. You know, I might not address it there, but I might address it another time to say, let's talk later. Um, Because even if it didn't come out that way, it can be perceived that way especially being a woman. And it's not necessarily being touchy, but you can approach it and say, you might want to trade with caution because certain things you say can get you in trouble. And I don't care if it's to another woman or if I, I don't care if it's to another man. Offense is offense. Um, and so we have to trade carefully with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just my own, my own opinion. No, no, I, 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 yeah, I agree. I see where you're I, because agree. The, the Me Too movement is not just a, from a man to a woman. I mean, there's a lot of people have to understand that the Me Too movement, um, if you really dive deep and, you know, you always always talk, I don't know if it's you or Lily always talk about going into the rabbit hole, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you will find that there are a lot of women who have not been vocal about discomfort from other women, Mm -hmm. things that made them unhappy. Men aren't the only ones that were saying, hey, this is what you're going to have to do to succeed. There was there's also women on the other side that say this is what you're going to have to do to succeed. And I mean, and I'm not saying an entertainment industry. I'm just saying, Uh, period, just period. period. You're going to have to tolerate this. They're just kidding. you got to have a a backbone. you got to have this. I know this because I was told. Well, I think these things. And so you have to, you know, be mindful that the Me Too movement is more than just you know, sexual misconduct or sexual dis you know, just, just, it's just, it's harassment in general. And I think one of the things I certainly suffered from is the reaction from people above me going, well, I suffered through that in my time and got paid less than you. So you have nothing to complain about. You know, this is part of paying your dues. This is part of paying your dues. Mm -hmm. You have to, you know, you have to suck it up and get through it. And I just, I agree that you pay your dues, but you don't have to do it in a way where you're being emotionally abused by people. Yes, I, that I agree with. Yeah. That I definitely agree with. So let me ask you this. What is your guilty pleasure for television? Oh my God, I have like so many guilty pleasures. I feel like <laughs> everything is just like a guilty pleasure. Okay, 
Right now, I'm completely addicted to The Walking Dead, which is a zombie show. I know. Yeah. Like, I've never oh. seen. I've, I've seen a few. I've just yeah. not been able to get into it. My brother also got me into Riverdale, which I watched the season one of on Netflix. And let me tell you, that is some garbage television that I <laughs> loved. It was so much fun to watch. Um, and what else? Um I feel like there's so much stuff. Oh, Big Mouth on Netflix, mm-hmm. which is totally a guilty pleasure because it's completely raunchy and disgusting, but also hilarious um, and smart. If you really break it down, it's also a very smart show. It's an animated show, not for children at all. <laughs> I do not recommend it for kids. Um, what else? Oh, and um, this season, uh, more or less, I more or less watched the whole episodes, but I can't necessarily always make it all the way through of The Bachelor. That was like, that was like, I was my first time ever watching it. And by what, like I loosely watch it. Like I put it on in the background and then I'll like sit down and be super into it. And then like skip ahead 20 minutes and like, oh, there's nothing happening here. But The Bachelor also, uh, that was definitely a guilty pleasure. I don't know that I'll keep watching it, but it was fun to be in tune with it. I felt very connected to social media and like pop culture from because I was watching it felt like very um watching the bachelor yeah the bachelor because it's like you go on twitter and everyone's talking about it and all like the drama and the final episode and i feel like you could go into a room of total strangers and be like who you're picking you're picking becca k (laughs) becca k or lauren b who are you going for and all of a sudden like two two eyes will light up and you can have this like hilarious conversation with complete strangers so Hmm. never seen that one but i just i don't know somehow it's it's I, I know what it's about. And I think to me, it's just too much loose hooking up to one person. Okay, so I think this is completely <laughs> insane. And I have to tell you, like, I watch it going like, first of all, aren't they terrified of getting herpes from all of the kissing? There's so much kissing. Everyone's kissing. There's all this, like, sharing. And then my friend reminded me that the people who go on the show don't have the same type of anxieties that we do. People who don't want to be on the show. And I also thought it would be, like, very morally abhorrent. I'd be like, this is a horrible lesson to teach people you know that you could just cheat as much as you want and then you actually watch it and it's not as bad as you think it would be you just sort of feel like the contestants are somewhat delusional thinking that they have a relationship with this bachelor who's dating like 15 women and that that even counts as I don't know it's a little bit bizarre but it's not as it's not as evil as I thought it would be well, I don't think it is evil, but I just couldn't get past the, just, you know, because on the, com- on the, whenever they're showing like promo commercials or the marketing for it, mm-hmm. he's kissing a different woman, Ugh. he's tonguing down a different Ugh, woman and, so or, or they're closing the door for privacy right. with a different woman. I'm thinking, um, that's, that's a whole lot of looseness yeah. going on. That I, It could also be the way they edit. It's definitely the way that they edit it, but there's a lot of kissing. There's a lot of like making out on that show with multiple women. On each episode. Not in herpes. It's just mono herpes. Yeah, it's It's just so gross. I can't imagine making out with someone who just like kissed four other people. Or five or or seven. It just depends on who he's going on a date with that night. How many are left (laughs) in the pool, right? Wow. So you don't watch any of The Real Housewives or... No, I don't. I don't watch any of The Real Housewives or things like that. You know, for me... I don't love reality <laughs> but I like competition shows like cooking competitions um you know that kind of stuff but I'm not I don't really love that was the closest for me that I get to reality tv mm-hmm. and now The Bachelor every like few oh, years, queer eye you don't know queer I mean queer eye yeah queer near, eye near and dear to my heart I was re-watching episodes last night I love it so much yeah 
Have you gone back and seen the first season that they had um, before this? Of the season? original, of the show? original no, show? No, I've never seen the original show. I, Have I, you? I want to say I've seen maybe one or two of the original shows, mm-hmm. but um, this one I, I've seen all the ones that they have so far. Okay. Um, and we, we got to talk about yeah. that on your, your, you know, your family's podcast, which, you know, we'll do the plug for that because it is phenomenal. Um, yeah, and just thoroughly have a good time. So I will tell you, you know, Shy, I know you're going to listen to this. So if you all have not talked about it or have not watched it, my next thing that I want to see is Veep. Oh, God. I've heard so many good things about Veep. And so I want to, I've seen that they have different, what is like eight seasons or something. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, um, I'm going to start watching Veep. I'm dying for you to watch it. And then we need to catch up and we do like, like a, you know, a follow-up because I need to know how realistic it is. Like I need to know if if you watch it and you get like hives because you're like, oh my God, I've been in this conversation before. It's so real. I'm dying to know because that is one of my favorite things. Um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is to me, she is. I I love her. I've loved her when she went, I've watched every episode of Seinfeld. And I fell in love with Seinfeld because of her. She, Mm -hmm. her, her character in Seinfeld was just amazing. And so she's an amazing actress anyway. And if you never watched New Adventures of Old Christine, which was her other show, that too. So good. I have seen seen that too. She is special. She is. Yeah. Like I said, she's a great actress. I do look at a lot of the shows she has and I'm surprised that I've just never really had an opportunity to look at Veep. One, I don't spend that much time watching TV, so it has to literally come on on, like, Hulu or Netflix. Um, And I have cable, and I think I went, like, three or four years without cable at all because I always tuned into, you know... Well, I don't actually have cable anymore either because I just watch everything streaming. Yeah, you can stream. online now, yeah. You can stream everything now, so Mm -hmm. it's, it's just amazing. Um, so we are going to do this new segment that we have on our show called A Shot of Herspiration. And in this segment, I'd like to know what are your top three shots like tips um, for success that you would give to someone who would like to be in the film or. I, I don't know what I mean, it's just mostly film and producing mm-hmm. um, more on the back end, not necessarily for people who want to become actresses or actors, mm-hmm. but who are interested in being in the film industry. What are your top three you know, tips that you would give? So my first one is when you're starting out, work the hardest. I know people say you can work hard or you can work smart, but I can tell you for people who are who are green, who are new. You need to work so much harder than everyone else. You have to be the first one in and the last one out. You never, ever leave before your producer. Don't even think of asking to leave the office or set or whatever it is before your producer leaves. Um, And you work those grueling long hours. And then as you get older and more experienced, then you can work smarter. I work smarter now. But I can tell you, (laughs) it is one of those things where we like to see people who are hustling, who are moving, who want to, who are constantly have something in their hands and moving from one place to the, to the other or making something happen. And, and I just have to work so goddamn hard when you start out in production. Um, that's my first one. Be the hard, like work the hardest. The second one is say, say what you want out loud mm. to the people who make decisions. So ask for what you want. If you want a specific 
job or opportunity or experience, then you have to say it to the person who's going to help make that happen because no one can read your mind and no one is going, walking around thinking, who can I do a wonderful favor for today? It doesn't work (laughs) that way. And I can tell you, especially as a woman that had I not gone up to, you know, my boss or my supervisor or my, my, you know, my, whether it was my coordinator at the time or the producer at the time and say, this is what I want to be doing next season on the show. And that's like my goal to get there. Or I'd like to be on this shoot and be doing, you know, X, Y, Z. I would have never gotten certain opportunities. So you have to be your own advocate. Mm-hmm. So that's number two. Um, number three is that I say like build your, build your, your toolbox. So constantly be constantly, sorry, be, be adding to your toolbox. Mm-hmm. So you won't try and think of the best way to explain it. So I have it written down actually. So there's always opportunities to grow mm-hmm. and whether that's through mentors that, you know, that's someone that you're working with who can mentor you or new experiences, but you should always be looking for those opportunities to grow and get smarter and get better. You don't have all the skills. You chances are you don't know what you're doing, but you can learn. And, and I always remind myself that there's constant teachable moments, but I'm the student and I always need to be learning. That could be from my colleagues. That could be maybe from the sound department or maybe from the camera department or maybe the writer, but there's always opportunities to be learning and growing and you should constantly be doing that. And if you don't find that exciting, then you're not in the right industry. You're not, you're not in the right job. Go find the job, go find the place where that is exciting to you. So, wow, that's, that's deep. I like especially the one be your own advocate and yeah. then building your toolbox. So I just just go back just a little bit because you said build your own toolbox and, you know, you could possibly be in the wrong industry. How did you know this was for you? You said you went back. I know you oh, said yeah. since you, you've been you wanted to do this since you was 11. So um, what what sparked that? I mean, we do have a lot of, of great young entrepreneurs now mm-hmm. and their moms might be listening and when they, they hear their kids say mm-hmm. something, how do you how do they know what to pour into them? How did you know that this was definitely what you wanted to do? And how did you bring that to fruition for you? It's well, it's because it was never it was never about being the best or being successful. It was never about like, it it was, it just came from a place of joy. So as a teenager, as a young girl and as a teenager and in my twenties, I felt genuine excitement and passion Mm -hmm. and joy working in film. And I didn't have to be like, of course I always made my own projects or worked with people to make our own projects. I didn't just always, you know, work on set as a PA, done tons of shorts and all sorts of junky things. And it never mattered how good or how bad they were. It was, it was, it brought me joy to be working with people making, making something in the film Mm -hmm. sphere. So maybe for someone else, that's, you know, like you said, a completely different industry, but if it starts from a place of joy and excitement, then I feel like that's how, you know, um, and it, it was never about an end game. It was actually really just about enjoying it in the moment. And because I did, you know, 
you stick with it, you learn more, you gain more skills and more opportunities, and then all of a sudden you kind of crack through and you get those better opportunities and the slightly better job and the, you know, and you work your way up. Um, that's in my case. Some people just, you know, have a completely different pers- perspective on that. They're like, well, you know, if you want to, I guess for entrepreneurs, like if you want to do it, you'll start your business. Um, if you want to be a film producer, produce a film. I agree with that. If you want to be a film director, go direct a film. I agree with that. But I also think there's a lot to be said for learning mm-hmm. and taking your time to grow and foster that before you necessarily just go off and do your own mm-hmm. thing and say, oh, I'm, I know everything there is to know about film. Yeah. No, I know nothing there is to know about film. <laughs> yeah. But I'm learning every day. Mm-hmm. And part of that comes from learning from people and part of that comes from making my own mistakes. So I think... Um, if you feel genuine excitement, almost like an an adrenaline rush, when you go to do your work, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. then you know, you're in the right thing. The other way that I know I, this is the industry for me is because I have tried to quit. I've gotten burnt out many, many times. And I've said, I'm done. I'm not working in production anymore. I'm going to go become a project manager. I'm going to go. I don't know, whatever, whatever other things that I did, I'm going to go work on a, I don't know, it doesn't matter. But none of those took, they always felt like, it always felt like homework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it always just felt like the motivation wasn't there. And so even though I would get burned out and it's totally normal and it's okay to get burned mm-hmm. out, that happens. In the end of the day, the only thing I ever really wanted to go back to and dedicate myself to was another film. It, it wasn't, and a job anywhere else, you know? Um, so that's how I know I was always kind of pulled back in. That, that's such a powerful statement. <laughs> I mean, no, because people don't always recognize burnout or they don't associate burnout with being temporary. Mm-hmm. And so they try to replace it with something else. And you learned in your experience mm-hmm. that replacing it with something else did not make you happy. No, anymore. it didn't. And I, and I tried, I tried managing, um, like a, an event space. I tried becoming a production manager. I thought I'd go work in like a, like art gallery kind of stuff. Um, and in the end of the day, it never took, I never, I never really wanted any of those op jobs and kind of once the, once I recovered from my burnout and I was able to mm-hmm. find my energy or my inspiration again, all of a sudden I'm going to raise money to make a short film. And I found these, you know, this director working on something that I want to attach myself to. And then there's all the motivation in the world to do those things, you know? So what was your learning lesson from that? I mean, or do you think that you will endure the burnout again? Or would you know it now ahead of time so that you can say, I still want to do this, but I need it to be different? Or um, I mean, how do you avoid that burnout now? So funny you say that. I actually feel like I just recovered from one. So I don't think it'll ever stop. I think as long as I stick with this world that I'm so in love with, mm-hmm. I will burn myself out, but in different ways. Previously, you know, when I was first starting out, it's because I was working like 80 hour weeks, 80 plus hour weeks, oh you know, gosh, and you do that for a couple of years uh, and you 
kind of lose your mind a little bit. Um, and so it's taken different forms. And I'd say most recently it was because I put so much of my heart and soul and my emotional energy into a project that ultimately didn't come to fruition. And there's a little bit of embarrassment because you talk it up and you're so excited and you have this grand idea. And so there's that and you, you know, you feel your ego is a little bit bruised from that. And then there's just the constant, you know, not getting paid. In this case, I wasn't really getting paid or not getting paid really anything or very much to work on a documentary and raise money for it. And we made beautiful short films, but the feature film we had hoped to make just was in ultimately never happened. Mm -hmm. And I felt, whereas let's say earlier in my career, it was that physical burnout from just working so much. I think I just like (laughs) my body shut down and now I experienced more of the emotional burnout mm-hmm. um, where I, f- I finish it. And I literally said, I'm like, I am not making another documentary. I am done. <laughs> I am never making another documentary again. It is too much of my own personal energy and heart and soul. And I had done two features before that, mm-hmm. which were so hard to do, but they got done. And then this third one just didn't get off the ground. Um, and but lo and behold, I'm continuing to work in film. And now what am I doing? We're on short format content. I'm like, well, what came out of that experience was that I actually learned how to produce really powerful short films. Mm-hmm. And now I'm working on a series where I'm going to be producing with a couple of other producers, 40 short films. Okay. You know, it's going to be this wonderful project that has funding, which also makes it a lot easier to not, <laughs> to not burn out. Um, so I, I, don't think it will ever stop. I think it will take different forms. Um, and you roll with it. But from each one, you do ultimately learn something about yourself. Mm-hmm. You learn that you have to take vacations or put up boundaries or say, if I'm going to work on an unpaid project, I'm going to give as much of myself mm-hmm. To the point where it's still fun. And then after that, you know, I don't have to feel guilty about taking a step back. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about learning from from the burnout more than anything. Wow, you all. And there you go. And there you have it from Miss Becky Corman, film producer, now new mother, aunt, sister, daughter, <laughs> and definitely a phenomenal perspiration. Um, so can you tell us where you know, the audience listening can find you. So you can certainly check out my podcast, Friday Night Movie. It's on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, You can follow us on Twitter, uh, Friday Night Pod. Um, You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Paper BK Princess. That's my that's my Twitter handle. It's a shout out to a to a book that I love, The Paper Bag Princess, by the way. So it's Paper BK Princess. And then I also have I also keep a recipe blog. So remember I was saying it's mm-hmm. important to have something that you love that's outside of your work world. Mm-hmm. Um, for me at least. So I keep a recipe blog and that's everydayoat.com. So you can check out some of the recipes my friend and I put up every week uh, there. All right. And for the Herspiration brand, you can reach us at www.herspiration.com, at Herspiration on Instagram and Facebook, and at at Herspiration Mag um, on Twitter. I myself can be found on Instagram at underscore authentically me underscore. And I welcomed myself recently back to the Twitterverse. 
Um, so I can be found at at I am Dr. P. Gurley on Twitter. Definitely follow and stay connected. And you can see who our next guest is going to be on the sixth episode. With that, I bid everyone a very happy cheers. Cheers. <laughs> and until the next time, have a hey, We off the patrol. Hey, 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 we off the patrol.